Welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Shelby Ellsbury, a former dancer, forever artist, and your host for a series of conversations with movers and makers that are redefining dance across global stages, one syncopated step at a time. Tune in monthly for behind-the-scenes chats with Dance Magazine cover stars, trailblazing choreographers, and artists paving the way for generations to come. Consider this your sneak peek into dancers' lives behind the scenes, a front-row seat to raw Q&As, and roundtable discussions connecting the nation's top dance talent with creators and changemakers. Listen loudly and enjoy. Today on The Dance Edit, we are joined by Hope Boykin. Hope is a dancer, a director, a renowned choreographer, a creator, a two-time Bessie Award winner. I have chills. <laughs> the list goes on and on and on, but I would like you to speak for yourself. Welcome, Hope. Thank you so much for sharing the gift of your time with us today. Thank you so much. This is really, really an honor, really an honor. This space, this time in my life to even be invited to speak with you. It's its really a joy. And at this time in my life, I'm super scared about a lot of things. And so to be able to find time to talk about it in my most transparent way, I'm going to promise you that I'm excited. But thank you so much for having me. Wow. Wow. It's such a gift. It's our absolute pleasure. And Hope, I, I imagine that the majority of our audience knows you well, has been following the, the breadth and depth of your extraordinary career across stages. Um, but for those who your name might be shiny and new to, I'll just share that um, Hope was an original member of Complexions, danced with Philodenko, and has left an epic 20-year legacy with the Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater. There are so many more things beyond her on stage service that I'm excited to get into in today's conversation. What I'd like to start with is shifting the spotlight a little bit to the life that has shaped your dance years. I think it'd be really easy for us to sit here and speak to the dance years that have shaped your life, but I want to go in the opposite direction. So were there any people, places, moments, early exposures or experiences that served you maybe even retrospectively uh, as, as a compass or a, a pointed source of reference along your journey, your artistic journey, your human journey? Let's start there. This is such a wonderful question. And usually, you know, we, it's just like you said, you start off from the beginning, but I would love to say, of course, my family, right? So let's just move them to the side, of course, all the things. But the people that I met that I now called, I like to call found family, those who have continued to be, air quotes, <laughs> truth tellers mm -hmm. in my life, these people are truly a new foundation. You know, I think that I had a really supportive upbringing. We don't always like everything about what we have to experience. And then you realize there was a lesson in it or you fell down and you, you know, you got hurt and then you realize, oh, I needed to fall down. So I won't fall down again. Right. Those are the things that are important, but the people I've been able to lean on after being an adult, those who weren't afraid to tell me, yeah, don't try that. Or you should apologize for that. Or that was too harsh or when are you going to think deeper about these questions are the, the people who've asked me the, the real why questions. Simon Sinek, you know, has this book and podcast that says start with why, right? So once I read that and I'm thinking, oh, I'm reading this book, it's like a business manual, but the person who actually shared it with me, Matthew Rushing, foundation, pillar in my life. Yes, he's awesome. Yes, he's a beautiful dancer. Yes, he's now associate artistic director of Ailey, the idea that I could always lean on his truth, even when it was uncomfortable, you know, becoming, becoming okay, living in the discomfort, not because we want to get used to the discomfort, but we find our way out of the discomfort. Renee Robinson is another truth teller. I remember her very clearly. We were on a tour and I was complaining a little bit. And she said, well, name the tour. Every time we go out, give it a new name, give yourself a new purpose. And this is another why, right? Give yourself a new purpose. And so I named this one particular tour, purpose, passion, and style. And mm -hmm. I said, oh, I'm going to do everything with purpose, with passion, and with style. And from that day, 
maybe 15 years ago, I wear pearls every day. Not because they're like a statement, but they are. They're a statement for me, not just for you, but for me to remind myself, this is how I want to show up. It's not me pretending to be someone. It's me actually showing who I long to be. It's showing you the person that I really want to reach to, to see myself at this end point. And end is just a new starting, right? And so when I think about the, the phone calls at night, the, hey, I'm just thinking about you. And I, I know it's another good friend of mine, Daiquiri Baptiste, who I'm going through like these changes. And I'm like, oh, I want to do this. And she says, I don't think you should do that. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm perfect for this. No, I don't think you should. Do and I, and it, you know, not that it hurt my feelings, but I had to stop and say, she wouldn't share the truth of her opinion with me if they weren't how she truly felt. Guess who was right? She was right. Like, so here we are at this space where I'm trying to hear, I'm trying to see a future after a career of dance because my body was just hurting. Like, it was like, how do I get to the stage? Once I'm on the stage, I was fine. But how do I get there every day? It just got harder. I, I was in the company, a full grown person, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> and so I was like, okay, I understand. And I knew that there was this push that I needed to have, but then another truth teller, Jawale Willa Joe Zolar, who was like, yeah, dive deeper into this meaning. Stay one more year, but get this from your time at Ailey. Push through this, but not because I'm pushing through it physically, but push through what I want to learn so I can go to my next step. Because where, wherever you are, it's just a comma or a semicolon or a dash to what's coming next. You know, it doesn't end a thing. It just transitions into a thing. And then I'm going to pull out another one. And this is so random, but Jonathan Ellsbury, who is now uh, head rehearsal director at Hubbard Street, and he does all the things. We were talking about making work one day. And he said, I said, oh, yeah, I have to make this new step. And I have to try to do some new vocabulary for this new piece I'm doing. And he was like, why? He said, the next piece you do should just be a continuation of the last piece you left, the last piece you just finished. And I think I was thinking to myself, oh, that is the transition. That is my life. Just because today is Tuesday. Okay, today's Friday, but you know what I mean? Like just, just because we're at the next day of the week doesn't mean I'm starting fresh. I'm continuing. I'm building upon a foundation. So when I constantly have these people who are moving me into these, like, not quite I'm not being misformed. I'm just being supported, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and I'm very careful when I talk about influences, especially as, a, as an educator, because when we have too many influences, I like to tell my students or young people that when you listen to too many things and all of the words come in, you and those people leave, you end up being misshapen. You're no longer who you are called to be. But if you actually listen, and like I said, the, the right kind of support, the right kind of lean forward, the right kind of not that way, the right kind of turn around, it's back here, you know, that is what's given me the strength and the power to actually help other people in that same way. So it's not just so that they've supported me, but their support of me helps me support other people. And that has turned my journey, my, my mission, the calling, the whatever, that's turned it completely around to what I want it, where I see it can go now. Wow. I am so ready to buy your book. I'm here for that. <laughs> we'll do a book tour pod. Um, okay. Oh, thank you. Wow. <laughs> So much. I'd, I'd love to just reflect for a moment to start at the beginning with family and chosen family, right? Like trusted friends. I think it's one thing to, to heed advice from a family member that knows you, but it's another thing to hear advice that maybe um, isn't as comfortable from a chosen friend. It almost holds you accountable in a way because you value them, their, their advice, their opinion, their reflection of you. And really what it comes down to is, is the intention, which is another word for why, right? It's like the value behind a why and right. being so clear and seeing that kind of intentionality as a thread throughout your career, your personal narrative, labeling tours. That is genius. Just That's amazing. Yeah. I think as humans, we're meaning makers and we enjoy organization of thought and organization of experience and for whatever reason, we have an obsession with labels for better and for worse. And this is certainly a for better moment because it's, it's a testimony to what you were stepping into, whether it was comfortable or not. 
I love that you chose pearls as your jewel of choice for many reasons. A, they look fabulous on you. B, Thank you so much. <laughs> B that's a 360 degree gem, right? It is, it reflects the one who's wearing it. It reflects the person looking at them, the side angles, gotcha. It reflects different light, different seasons. And I'm sure all of these things, it's kind of a metaphor for what feeds and fuels and contributes to your work. And you spoke about being an educator. I, I want to take this quickly into that direction because I find that so inspiring. But to get there, wanted to chat with you a little bit about coloring outside the lines of a field that is so often prescribed, right? Classical ballet, modern ballet, dance in general, it can take so many different shapes and color so many different stages. But historically, it is a very prescribed art form and the recipe for making it, the recipe for success has been prescribed in a pretty strict way for decades. From following your career and reading up on your unbelievable bio, it's so clear that you have never subscribed to that prescription. <laughs> or perhaps you have, but very much in your own way, which takes a level of courage, confidence, vulnerability, humility. So I wanted you to speak to that a little if you're comfortable. And perhaps that is what fuels you as a motivator and an educator to teach people how to do that, perhaps? Actually, yes, exactly. I wanted I want to also be clear because earlier you mentioned, you know, you thought that it was so good that I could be this forthcoming and knowing the why, but I don't know it. Okay. The time every day I have to re redesign it. Like, or I have to, I have to redefine it. How about that? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Wait, you said you, this is what you wanted. So now you have to do it. Oh, you remember yesterday you said this is what you wanted. So that's why I just want to be clear that I am still working. I am constantly working. And because of that work, the work that I've had to do, I want to try my very best to teach people who are watching me what not to do. But guess what? They're going to do it anyway. Right. So so let's because I did, you know, don't go down that street or don't, you know, and as soon as you do it, something happens like yeah. you can't deny that. How I found that it, it has been best for me to work with young people is to tell them the truth. I should say all creators now, all when I walk into a room as a dance maker and as a creative, I walk in with the same three points. The first point is that I'm the queen in the room. It has taken me a long time to understand that I am here for a specific reason. I'm going to own what I know, which is one of the things on the list, hopes and rules, right? Own what you know. I own what I know. I'm not afraid to say that I don't know something. And then I move from there. So I'm I'm steady on my throne. I'm not trying to be you. I'm just trying to stand here on mine. Mm -hmm. The second one is that I absolutely have no intention of offending anyone, but I'm sure I will offend you. I am not going to go to sleep at night and think about how I can mess with you. No, I'm not going to do that, but I will get up. And if I mess up, guess what I'm going to say? I'm sorry. Let me go back. Let me tell you what I intended. Could I have said that better? And then apologize, not just to you, but to the room. Mm -hmm. So then that levels out the room, right? It lets people know that I don't think that I am just because I'm sitting on my throne doesn't mean I know all. And then the most important of my three points is that no is my favorite word. Absolutely not. No, stop doing that. No, that's not what I want. No, that doesn't look good. No is not a vague word. And so when you tell a young person no, and then don't just leave them at no, but help them get to yes, they trust you. And when you have someone who trusts you, then you can help them, as Joe Zolar said, you can help give them guided choice. You're not trying to make the decision for them. You're just trying to help them see what could be best for them. And that is how I feel about the education that I would like to continue to impart on young folk, young dance people. As, as artistic advisor for dance education at the Kennedy Center, I get these two weeks of a summer program that I can structure and put together. And if a teacher falls out and someone says, oh, we can throw this person. And I was like, oh, no, we can't. I'll do it. Because all of the things, all of the teachers, all of the guests that I bring in all understand this exact mission of mine, 
We want to promote positivity in the room. We want to tell truths in the room. We want to uplift the bodies that they are in the room, the bodies that they were given, not the bodies that they made, the bodies that they were given. We want to uplift those bodies. We want to uplift what someone else says may not work and help them find the way. It's not just telling you no, but it's telling you no to help you hone in on how to get to yes. And then the other thing, which I don't listen to a lot for myself, is that I ask them to create a list of awesome. What is on your list of things you already do well? Because psychologically, if you add to the good list, instead of trying to cross off the bad list, you are seeing your attributes. You're seeing what you can become. You are reaching further because you, you're like, well, I, yes, I'm a, I'm a high, you know, some of the young people would say, oh, I, I love to perform. Um, I'm, I, I'm good at hip hop. I jump high. I can turn. Great. Add, you know, your, oh, my arabesque got better. Add that. Add those things to it, and then you're not really worried about what someone else is telling you because you're constantly feeding yourself the good thing. And then the other part of this conversation where I think it's a very fine line, um, especially when I speak out about it as a Black woman who um, is classically trained, who danced in a, in a modern dance company, and we can, you know, Horton Technique is my absolute favorite, but I love Graham and Lamone and, you know, Taylor. I love, I love, I love them and I love what I've learned from them, but these classical styles, right? So even if we call it classical ballet technique, right? We call these modern, these classical codified styles. I love them because they are fortifying. They help you and enrich you to get from point A to point Z. I don't, have a problem with the form of ballet. I have a problem with some of the people in the front of the room and how they teach the form. So if we can just renegotiate our nose to fit the people that we see in the room, though those people may not ever want to do that thing, but I'm not going to punish you for what you were given. I'm not going to punish you because you're you wear a C cup. You know, in a, I'm not going to punish you because your head is not the same, is not small and your thighs aren't the same size as your calf. I'm not going to punish you for that. I'm going to give you guided choice and teach you how to use that body that you have to the best of your ability. And the reason I was able, I feel I am able to do that is because I studied at the right time of my life with Gabriella Darvash. She taught me and other people from the Ailey Company you know, we would get together and wake up at like ridiculous o'clock in the morning and show up before we had to stay at the theater all day. But what she said to me applied to me. What she said to this next person applied to them. And then that person applied to them. I didn't have to take her note. That's not my body. And when I understood that, I said, oh, that's how I'm going to teach everyone else. I'm going to teach them on their terms. Someone will say, how do you, what level do you teach? I teach one level, your level. And if you need to do something different, I'll say, why don't you turn that? Or someone else said, I'll say, slow that down. That'll, you know, let's help each individual move forward. Here's the fine line. It is exhausting. It's exhausting. And at the end of the day, when you've given it all, you're like depleted. But then you see that young person that says, Miss Hope. Or just the other day in rehearsal, one of the dancers I'm working with said, I never learned that before. Bam. Then all of a sudden you're filled with energy because what you feel like you're squeezing out of yourself, you're getting back. And I remember sitting in the audience watching the last piece I made for the Ailey Company, Revolution Dream. And I sat out and I watched it and I said, oh, she looks beautiful, that's me. And he looks great and that's me. I didn't need to be in the space anymore. I was in the space because they were in the space. So as an educator, I've also turned that into, oh yeah, so when they're successful, I'm successful. When you win, friend, I'm winning. You know, when I'm looking like this in the room and I'm like, oh, look at this. Here it's gonna sound cheesy, but when you spread a little hope, you give people more and more and more from which to grasp and grab onto and say, oh yes, I can do this and I can do that because I have a little bit of, hope, longing for, lowercase h, right? Longing for, reaching for the thing I can't see, experiencing this thing. I use my name a lot. I mean, hey, it's a word. It's my name. <laughs> <laughs> I do squeeze that out too. I squeeze it out as much as I 
much as I can. But yeah, so as far as education is concerned, I, there's a there's a fine line, especially today with appropriation and and making sure that me and this body, this body that that was muscular, I mean, I had control over what I ate. I had control over my weight. I'm not going to even try to pretend that what goes in my mouth I saw before I chewed, right? So, but the the shape, the thing that people talked about they wanted to fix, I don't want to fix you because you are complete. You are not broken. You are fully formed. These humans are fully formed. Now, would you like to add a pearl? That's different, right? You can put on a scarf. That's different. That's an accessory. That's not changing who I am. Mm -hmm. And I want to constantly give these young folk, these young artists, these, and when I say young, I really mean like 13. And then, you know, these who are in college, I had the most incredible experience at USC this past semester, well, the, the spring semester. Those people brought me so much life and they were all so different, but so incredible. And that's when I also knew, I'm like, oh, I get this. I get, I get what it's about. Do you know what I mean? I can keep going about the education thing. I'm done. Sorry. (laughs) I could keep listening. I could keep listening. I will say just the, the honor that you attribute to the incredible roster of talent that you learned from. It's so incredible to witness your reflection of the moment when you've become that teacher, that guide, that motivator. And as a retired performer myself, I know the privilege of the pain that is sitting in an audience looking at a stage that you feel you'll never stop wanting to be on yourself. And I just think it's so incredible to orient yourself from this place of giving your gifts, imparting your hard-earned wisdom to other artists seeing them bring that to life on stage and being able to see yourself in that. And what a stunning way to keep performing for the rest of your whole life. Um, It's, it's why I referred to your career with Ailey as a legacy. And when I've taught small dancers myself in studios, I say, you know, right now you're leaving a footprint in the studio that no one can take away. I love it. I, I I'm so humbled by your orientation as an educator. I think there's a lot of unlearning and rewiring happening in terms of language alone in the dance education space. And one thing I want to talk to you about is just the life of an artist is the life of a giver and to a world that is ripe to take because we need that, whether you call it escapism or or beauty or proximity to awe, proximity to awesome. On the talent side of, of that equation, it is it is a giving, it is an act of service. The same can be said for educators. The same can be said for motivators and keynote speakers such as yourself. So given the fact that you wear many hats, you sit on many thrones, each one of them positions you to pour hope, capital H, into your audience and into the students that have the privilege of learning from you. And I'd love to know, yes, you'll have those moments of validation and those moments of seeing that come to life on stage, but what do you do to fill your own cup, to, to replenish those stores in a, in a proactive way, given, you know, you have clearly so much time on your hands to do that, <laughs> but it's important to speak to this audience of artists and aspiring artists. That is that cup fuels the, the work that you put out, the outcome of, of who you are as an artist. So curious how you maintain that for yourself. I'm really struggling to mm-hmm. do that now struggling on so many different levels. The last couple of years dealt with some health challenges that I just felt, I feel, I feel two things. I feel that I it was necessary for me to go through these so that I can learn from them. I can move from them because if you don't learn from it, then you can't move on, right? And then the second way I feel is that it's not fair. <laughs> so I'm dealing with, I don't like this. Mm-hmm. I don't understand this. Why me this? And then, well, if this weren't happening, I wouldn't have written this. Or if this weren't happening, I wouldn't be able to choreograph this. Or I wouldn't be able to explain it to someone else. So as much as I'm not trying to like holier than thou myself, but I do look at both sides of that coin or, or the situation. Then I call my friends And I do like to spend time with my friends. My guilty, guilty thing is shopping. (laughs) Um, 
So, you know, some seasons it's scarves or some seasons it's this. Right now it's tech. So I, I buy cameras and lenses and, you know, like I just love diving into all sorts of things. So that's just, you know, like it's, it's, it's exciting to learn something new in that way. So I've been diving into technology and filmmaking and um, photography a lot so that, you know, if I go down this YouTube university rabbit hole, you know, I'll look up and I've, you know, spent two hours, but look what I've learned. And then I pull out my camera and I'll try these things. And so that's another side of, of me that I get to pursue Mm. Um, because it used to be more writing, but now that the writing is included in my work a lot, I don't really write outside of it or I don't write as freedom anymore. Yeah. But I do, but I, I still enjoy that. And then, you know, making sure that I spend the right kind of time with the right kind of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so many, you know, memes are, and things are coming up online about who you spend your time with because that person is a reflection of who you are. And like you said earlier, you know, these mentors of mine, these people who have affected my dance life in all the kinds of ways are those who are pushing me forward in a way. And to be honest, at this stage of this business that I'm, functioning on. If I don't do it, it doesn't get done. Yeah. So there's a little, there's not as much time for me as there should be. Yeah. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm on a couple of vacations, but I have to plan them like four or five months in advance because <laughs> I book myself. And you know, we end up doing that, or at least I ended up doing that because we, I, I wanted to make sure I stayed relevant yeah. and current. So it's hard to say no. It's hard to say no and think people will want you after you've said no. That's tough. Um, here's something I always say, and it kind of fits into this thing. Um, we all want to be liked. We just don't want to want to be liked. We want to be chosen. We just don't want to want to be chosen. We want to be cast. We just don't want to want to be cast. We want to be okay with 56 casts. We know we're not okay with being in the 56 cast. We know we want to be in the first cast, but maybe the 56 cast is the best cast for us. Mm-hmm. You know, and so I'm, those are the, that's that push and pull or pull and pull yeah. that I'm dealing with a lot. So yes, I know what to do to give myself time. And to recoup, I don't do it. (laughs) I am here for that honesty. (laughs) You know why? Because I'm sure an answer like that resonates with way more of the audience than (laughs) than the other, you know, aspirational. But, you know, saying these things out loud, calling ourselves out. I mean, it's, it's not nothing. And it's even if it's just a nudge to kind of keep us on a healthy path. I think it's also important, too, in a world that is just insatiable around monetizing everything, even our hobbies, such that you know it's hard to buy, spend money, invest on a camera and lenses without being like, should I start selling pictures? Should I, should I, you know, like, yes. One other thing, yeah. therapy. Therapy. That, whoa. Yes. Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> the end. No. <laughs> yeah, we're good. We, we got what we needed. <laughs> therapy. I always say that it's you you know, dancers, professional athletes, people that work at very high levels have invested so much in their technique, especially as, as an athlete or dancer, so much in your physical well-being. But as Simone Biles, the great teaches us, you can be in Olympic shape. And if your mind is not there, it's, it's not going to be safe. It's not going to be enough. We can be great at all the ages. You know, I am officially AARP and, you know, (laughs) I have, I've graduated to that level, but I am still learning how to speak to people, you know, to, to make it most efficient. I'm still learning how to um, direct and negotiate the things that I want and not just on the stage, but in the spaces that I'm in. And it's so interesting that you need a support in a way where you can just unpack and then it feels okay. Because when I started saying to people, oh, I don't have time to cry. I was like, whoa, you need to call someone. You know, because if I'm putting my feelings and emotions behind my work and behind everything, that's cause for implosion and that's no good. And that's also healthy. 
your body turns on you that way too. So learning lessons, I'm sure we should move on from that heavy. <laughs> no, I mean, body keeps the score and turns out so does the mind. <laughs> love that. Love that. Let me take a note on that. I love Absolutely. that. Absolutely. <laughs> It's true. And this kind of circles back on something you said earlier about being an adult and people still holding you accountable for yourself or being bold enough to counter an opinion. I think that in the arts world, it's very common for young people to start living like an adult much younger than the norm, right? It's uh, dance is a finite career. And so generally you start younger and, you know, you're, you're having to kind of onboard yourself to adulthood before the average person, generally speaking. And I think what this creates is a lot of 13 year olds going on 30, (laughs) but it also on the flip side, it creates a lot of adults in the industry that maybe don't feel as confident as we all should to ask for help, to lean on, you know, whether that's professional help or uh, asking for mentors, nourishing those relationships that are not necessarily comfortable all the time, but certainly constructive and being kind of pushed out of that zone. Yes. Yes. And I think that in this generation, and I'm not necessarily talking about the X, the Y's disease, whatever, but you know, like in, in this generation that we were in, we did it because we we saw what we wanted and it didn't matter how we got it. And then through the pandemic and George Floyd and, and everyone knowing that it is time now, we need to start paying attention to what people see and hear and feel. I do believe we're a little bit at menu society, and I've said this, where you get to choose. And I don't think you get to choose, but you get to tell me if I make you feel uncomfortable. And so, so young people who are not in, who are able to say, oh, I want to learn from this person. I want to study from that person. And I don't really like that class. So I'm not going to take it. I don't think you have a choice if you want to really grow in this field. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you can't just learn basic math. At some point, you're going to have to learn how to, you know, uh, multiply and divide. And then we need you to be able to go to the next thing. And you might not ever think you want that math yeah. you know how they say math the math is mathing right you yeah. may not really need that but when I had to fill out my first grant report I needed all of that I needed those things and so if we keep you in the this is going to be beneficial at some point language you might not like it right now but make sure I speak to you in the way that you need to be spoken to and I'm sensitive and apologize after, then we can move on. <laughs> because I do believe that that line is very thin. You know, I think that the, the body of the young person also makes them entitled to want more younger because they're put their bodies through more younger. Yes. And, you know, we watch the, the gymnast pound and round and flip and land and stick it. You remember that? Like, I think what? that was even a stick it, right? Yeah, like, right. So, so if you you have to do that, what kind of pressure is that putting on your body? What kind of pressure is that that you're putting on your mind that you have to be this perfect thing? And then you don't get to grow up. You don't get to, I have this, in this work I'm making, one of the characters is called the worried. And the worried said, oh, I don't have time. I, I, I could not fall. I could not feel. And if I felt that I might be seen as weak, right? Because, and so that that's the characters always worrying about doing the wrong thing or, well, wait. And so I feel like in our worry, in the pain, the physical pain, the thing that we're going through not to be accepted, we're going to sacrifice by any means necessary dance so that we can keep pushing. Yeah. And that's that's also not going to be the most beneficial for a long lasting artist. It doesn't give the dancer, the artist time to actually experience a life if we're telling them they have to achieve and arrive. Yeah. You must achieve and arrive. And then you achieve and arrive to level two A and then you're level two C and then you move back. You know, allow, unless we allow them to just be great yeah. where they are, remember fully formed. Yes. They're already a person. <laughs> It's so true. The The earlier stages of an artist's career, there are standard measures of success, standardized measures of growth. And then, 
maybe you make it into a dance company or you have an established freelancer career or something. And those successes are generally far and fewer in between. And what this kind of speaks to is, is a few things I've read about your work and beliefs around sacrifice versus need. So I'd love for you to talk to that a little bit. I heard a quote the other day, which was work in silence and let success be your noise. And as I was preparing for this conversation with you, I'm reading, you know, you're on New York Times headlines, you're sprinkling magazine covers and programming at the Joyce in New York City. And, you know, it's it's not wild. It's exactly right. It's exactly right. And, but this is what I see from the outside, right? And, and it's what so many of us see of people whose careers we aspire to emulate. So the silence, the work in silence, the sacrifice versus need. Let's just shift the spotlight away from the headlines for a minute to, to talk about the actual work behind that. I love to work in silence. <laughs> I will not pretend that I don't want people to like the work, mm-hmm. right? But I believe I should like it first. Thin line, very gray. But I can admit that in full transparency, full transparency, I want you to tell me, oh, that was good. You know, we want to, we want to be like, yes, hope you made it, you know, yes, yes, hope, good. And I want you to mean it. But I also want to know that already. I want to be confident already. And so I tend, the dancers I work with hate it. Whenever we have an agreement, in my agreement, I put a, a clause of no social media at all. When we post, when you post, it's because I've given you the thing you can post. (laughs) Because if I'm constantly, and I know that this is not the culture we live in, and I'm not upset with the culture, I just have a hard time telling you about something that is not made. You know, so I try to say, just like I said, fully formed. I don't believe people have potential, but plans do. Plans Mm -hmm. change. Right. You, you, you see someone draw a building on a piece of paper. They want to make that building. They have to do the math. They have to do all the things and then the building can be made. But a person I'm already here. But if I'm making work from an idea and I need to process the idea and I need to go into a space for the idea, I'm not going to tell you about it until it's formed. <laughs> and that's my version of working in silence. You know, I believe I have skipped steps to be honest, to be at the Joyce, but those were my steps to skip. You know, those people who've been supportive of me this whole time, they know what I'm doing. I'll say, hey, I have a thing. It's just a little thing, about 40 minutes, and they'll show up. Oh, I have another thing. It's about an hour. They'll show, I have an hour, 15 minute thing now. You want to come see it, you know? But it's hard for me to tell you, I'm making a thing. I don't know what it is yet. That is tough. Yeah. So I have to turn my volume down because if I lead with what it could be and I haven't made it, I'm not okay. That's my personal thing. I was challenged a couple of weeks ago by worrying about this project, all the worries. And a woman said to me, are you sure that's not your ego? And I was blown away. Like, wait a minute, maybe it is. Maybe my ego feels like I should be feeling better, but I'm going to turn that in on myself and pretend that I'm not feeling good. Let me pretend I'm not ready. Let me pretend I'm not prepared. I'm prepared. I'm ready. I wouldn't have the opportunity, but I'm still not going to talk about it quite yet until it's done as much as I can. Stunning. I think there's so much to be said for the preciousness um, of creation in a container. I love that as simple as it is, I love that you gave the example of a building specifically because I'm, and I get such a kick out of taking language from certain industries and transposing them towards others. For example, the architecture of sound or the melody of a poem. And it's why your work has always just resonated with me so powerfully because I feel that we're very much aligned in the fluidity that exists there of of transposing these words. It reminds me of this motto of George Balanchine of see the music, hear the dance. It gives people pause to really consider what and how they are absorbing or perceiving an experience 
in a way that is just delightfully provocative. So I'd love for you to speak to what I'm dubbing your multilingual creative languages. Thank you. I, I agree with that. I, you know, we can call it old school or whatever, but it's hard for me to watch movement and not try to place it with whatever you've given, whatever score or underscore you've laid. Like, it's tough for me. I am, I'm open to other things, of course, and I'm, I find genius and beauty in so many things that I would have never thought of, which is the other great part about watching creators create. I'm like, oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, I wish I had thought of that. You know, like I spent my career thinking, I wish I had thought of almost everything Ulysses Dove had ever done. You know, like, I'm like, oh, I wish I had thought of that. Oh, the table, you know, the bench. But when it comes down to me using my words, I remember, again, Gabriela Darvash saying, there's no word, there's no movement for the word love. It's how we round the shape to make it like love. It's how we use the music to make it like love. You know, there's some songs that sound like some classical songs. I think Nocturne and B sounds like love, divorce, right? Like it just sounds like love is happening when you're listening to it. So I want to move in a way that made me feel loving or lovely or lovable, right? Like, why wouldn't I want to move in that way to that music? So I think that words are the same. You know, we can have strike, strike, strike. And I can say, yes, yes, yes. See, we could have thought that that was stop, 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 but it's not. It's like, yes, yes, yes. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I believe in you. I believe in you. I believe in you. It's all the same. But if we pull it back and we're like, ooh, I like that. Can you do that again? Oh, my gosh. Then that same striking symbol, but slower and thicker, allows for other, um, other interpretations. So then when I personally put my very clear and transparent text on top of abstract movement, then the movement becomes transparent. Mm -hmm. And then the movement feels defined to me. It is still an arabesque. It is still a passe, still a pirouette. It's still a, you know, whatever, whatever we're going to do to call it a, a pod ray, you know, whatever, whatever it is. But I'm saying, like me, please. Yeah. Like me, please. Like me, please. Like me, please. Please like me. Like me, please. Then everything has changed and that pabere gets new meaning. So I tend to understand, which is why I say I now write for my work, because even if I don't use a voiceover or speak live, even if there's no text in the work, I've still written the work in my cadence because my movement cadence and my speaking cadence are the same. Wow. And and this particular project where I'm not the only one speaking when every member of the cast is mic'd and speaking and exchanging dialogue and dialogue simultaneously with their movement, it changes how they feel about it. And what's interesting is that it changes how it comes out and how they feel about who they can be. And when I presented this to some friends. Oh, you should get actors first. And I was like, absolutely not. I'm going to get movers first because that's all we do is act. We act like it's okay. We act like we're all right. We're standing at the bar at eight o'clock in the morning. We act like we're not hungry. We act like this is fun sometimes when it's not. We act like we're not hurting when we are. I'm sorry. We're going to go movers first. And boy, are these movers. It is unbelievable. It's unbelievable. I get the the turn to the floor, the jump and drop, the Shanae fast and the message. It is unbelievable what this talented group is providing me. And then I'm able to see my words lived through them as a unit, individually. This States of Hope thing has turned me into a weeping, constantly weeping <laughs> willow of a person because I can't hide behind the things that I'm saying. You know, I, I am speaking in some of the, the voiceover, you know, but there's this one closest to the end, which I feel like reminds me of a little bit what we're speaking about, where Terry Wright does a solo to this text that says, at my lowest, at my lowest, my lowest, my weakest, when I feel there is no more, more comes. 
you know, and at my lowest is not where I fail, it's where I regain and recover and regain and renew and regain and find more to give to you because I have enough now to give even at my lowest. So when I see all this, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm tired. I haven't given myself enough time to recover. Um, I'm hungry, I forgot to eat, you know, did that person get paid? Oh, well, you know, did I buy that train ticket? Do they have a place to stay? Did I give them their per diem? You know, like even at my lowest, yeah. there's more. There's more. Oh, I'm so emotional listening to you speak. <laughs> I'm over here weeping. <laughs> I cry, cry all day. I cry all day. I told one of the dancers came to hug me today. I was like, I'll crumble. I was like, I'm tender. I'm tender today. So I'm going to say this. Um, because I want to be truthful. There are so many wonderful things and so many things are the worst right now, right? Like, it's like the worst feeling. Is it my ego? I'm checking, you know, I'm learning. I'm, I'm figuring it out. But there's so many wonderful things. You know, Judith Jamison texted me this morning. How's the progress? Because progress is great, you know? And I'm thinking, <laughs> Judith Jamison just texted me, you know? <laughs> She's checking on hope. And then, you know, I trip downstairs. Yeah. And so now my toe is hurting, but she was damn sick called me. Like, how do you, how do, those two things can't exist. Yeah. This incredible thing, your friends calling you, telling you, don't worry, it's going to be all right. That these people that are with me, these organizations, you know, I, I wish I could do the whole list, but like these places who said, we'd like to support your work. We'd like to give, you know, Center for Ballet and the Arts and works in process, um, uh, Chautauqua institution, like weeks I go, you know, everyone's, you know, these residencies are like two weeks long. I'm like, oh, I need three weeks. And they're like, well, okay. <laughs> you know, and so, um, you know, like I'm going to Modern Accord Depot, like I am here at the Catskill Mountain Foundation in a theater and they gave me a key. They gave me a key so I can walk in here at any time I want. Yeah. And close everything down and turn off the lights and, you know, oh, the, the the technical director said, oh, here's the light board. You can move these things. Just put this in if you want to put some lights on the stage. Oh, thanks. <laughs> you know, like Chelsea Factory, same thing. I just went in there with a key and I was there all day long, just doing all that I could do. This support that I have right now, this love, this thing, you know, Ross LeClaire from The Joy saying to me, so what do you want to make? What? Yeah. <laughs> okay. All of that to say, I couldn't have done it without a million backbones from these people. I gave this keynote once about being a good risk. You know, dancers, it's usually one or two of us. If you're not the flavor, you know, you don't get the article, you don't get the grant, you don't get the award and you're not a good risk, but you're not a good risk until someone else gets risked on you. And then once you they've seen it, then they'll also give you, but now you're not really a risk anymore because someone's already approved you, you know? And so then you start to add up and it's like, wow, they think that I'm worth it. And that's great. I should know I'm worth it. Yeah. Like fix it, right? You know what I mean? But remember, we all want to be liked. We just don't want to want to be liked. So we just got to keep that perspective. It's so beautiful. It's this dance of a life is just a constant reconciling of what we know to be true and what we question to be true that we already know to be true. I want you to talk about States of Hope at the Joyce when it premieres. I love to write myself. I've always loved to write. And, and after my dance career, I found it as a way to kind of choreograph with my words and keep on dancing, so to speak. But I also find that it is extremely vulnerable to share writing and you know, in my dance career, I, I auditioned a billion gajillion times without batting an eye. But the two times I went in for a Broadway audition where I had to sing, I, in my life, I have, will never be that nervous again. <laughs> and so, you know, getting movers to, to speak, I think is so poignant because dance is a nonverbal form of expression and incredible dancers, you know, have so much to say. And it is literally leaking out of their pores. And that's why you can go to ballet, know nothing about it or dance and be so moved because their self-expression is, is leaking through their movement. And so giving that kind of a mover the opportunity to layer on speech 
poetry, dancing through text, interwoven with dancing of their bodies in community. I, yeah, I cannot wait. I will be like front row at the joys, but, <laughs> but talk to us a little bit about that. What, to, what we can all look forward to. Sure. So my, you know, my sort of log line, not really, is that States of Hope is a fully scripted evening length new dance theater work. And I love the idea of dance theater because we are using our bodies to tell stories without having to define it, you know, so to speak, right? I love that I have watched dance. I have watched so many types of dance and left feeling like I was transported and not being able to understand what the lyrics were in the music or listening to an opera, right? Like, but the soprano is going in and you just, weep because you don't you, they've they've punctured you this is a this is a stretch because people have told me that they either listen or they watch mm. i'm going to try it anyway right. i'm going to try it because i believe that you can do both i believe that if you decide you'll just open your eyes and open your ears what you take in is enough mm -hmm. you have to work to do one or the other whatever goes in stays in there are seven characters, the determined, who is the most representative of the person that I would always show. I struggled to decide whether the determined would be called the performer or not. Okay. But I feel now that the performer is determined, if that makes sense, right? My play on it. There's the determined, the cynical, the angry, the worried, the conformist, the convinced, and then daughter of Job. All of them make sense. I think the convinced is like this holy roller, you know, always, always know your scriptures. Sometimes you like, you wish you wouldn't get, you wouldn't have to answer a question with that scripture, but that person understands what the message is. I'm a woman of faith. I grew up that way and I believe it, but sometimes I'm like, oh, don't give me that message right now. I don't really want that. The cynical wants you to get to the answer immediately. Why can't, why aren't you doing this? Well, if you had done this, this would happen. The worried is in the cycle of six, one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, six, because in that Newton's cradle, you know, you have those, those balls, right? You only stop the worry when you stop it. Yeah. So the worries in this, what we call circle cycle. The conformist doesn't want to be wrong. The conformist is going to do the bare minimum. The conformist is going to give you exactly what you need so that they won't lose. They'll be right because they're going to just give you exactly what you want. The angry is a physical manifestation of all that determined really wishes they could say and takes the brunt of the hurt that the determined is given. So the darts that are thrown as the determined, the angry accepts. Mm -hmm. And then the daughter of Job is my take on, is my fictional character from the biblical character Job. Job was tried. Job was tested. God let the devil test Job right? And then Job still had faith, period. So my character is Job's oldest daughter from his restored life. And so she understands the pain. She understands the faith. She understands the struggle because the scars are still living. Or Just because you're healed doesn't mean you don't have the, the proof that you've been through it. So all of these characters, plus me as a narrator, just sort of tying scenes together my scenes my acts they're yeah. sort of see they're, they're, they're dance acts they're not really strictly play studied acts but I do think it passes like a play yeah um, and at the end we realize that there's still a question but we have the answer wow that's, it. that's stunning when is, when does it premiere oh yes October 17th Okay. 22nd at the Joyce Theater, Tuesday through Sunday with two performances on Saturday. And I'm just, I'm still in kind of can't believe it land when I'm not working or when I'm talking to you about it. I'm telling you about a thing that still a little bit in the making, but it's mostly made. Yeah. And um, I'm here now uh, in residency. We have a technical residency. So on Monday, all of the collaborators come in and we try everything to see if to we try it. We we get ready for everything. We're not gonna try it. We're gonna get ready for, for October. There you go. There's that quote, you know, it's um great art is never finished, it's abandoned, 
right? And, and the moment of abandonment is, is the moment at which the public gets to receive it and, and make it their own and their own interpretation. So um, for whatever that's worth, I, I'd love to share something. The US Open is happening here in New York City right now. And my dad pointed out to me that on the wall that all of the players have to pass by and walking out to the court, there's a plaque. And it says, pressure is a privilege. And I know that you've spoken to that a number of different ways throughout our conversation today. But knowing everything that you have on your plate, knowing all that's to come and people wanting bits and bites of, of hope's magic from all different angles, what would you say is something that you have now in this moment that you used to wish for? I have room. I have room. I wish people would let me say it my way or let me try it this way so I don't have to try to be like someone else. But I actually have room now. It's not just room to breathe, it's just room to be. That's a good question, you got me. Wow. I also have a lot of trust from artists that I didn't expect. I don't think it's something I wished for, but I feel that they trust the work and they trust the way that I want to work and how I want to keep the space sweet, mm. even though it's not always sweet. But I think I have room. I want it to stand up and and be in a space that I created. And I'm I, I'm getting that. Oh, we're <laughs> so excited to get some of that too. October, October. Well, Hope, I believe that thoughts become things and call that manifesting. But in closing say it out loud, be bold, or we can cut it. But what dream collaborators do you want to create with? What stage do you want to sprinkle your talent across? And what city do you want to leave an artistic footprint on? I believe in bringing people with me. Mm -hmm. So I would love to continue to collaborate with people that I have in my space, okay. dreaming, dreaming with them, with the right kind of budget, the other thing, oh, the other thing is having the room to fall and fail mm -hmm. and getting another chance and not having that be your only chance. Because a lot of times it feels as a black woman, you check a box. Oh yeah, well, we, we gave you that chance. You know, so fine. Um, I, I want a Tony and an Oscar. That's what I want. Got it. I, I want an Oscar for something that I made, something I like, I'm behind the camera mm -hmm. on it. And I'm behind and I'm in, involved in the writing and the making. And I've got these two ideas that I think are just like, I want them. And I think there are several cities I would like to leave a little sparkle. And there are cities that I've already been a part of in my life. Okay. I would love to work in, in Durham, in Chapel Hill, in North Carolina. I got a lot of information there. I worked with some great people as an ADF tuition scholarship recipient three years in a row. I mean, Tally Beatty, Donald McHale, uh, Fred Benjamin, Lucas Hoving, Pauline Connor, just a couple of classes I had with her. I'm not gonna say I studied, you know, but you just sort of this list of like these people who were pioneers. And then I, I know because of my relationship at the Kennedy Center that I want to stay a part of the dance education. When I think about what that performing arts center is to our nation, and that when people come to dance at the Kennedy Center, I get to be a part of these young people's future. That is huge to me. And then somewhere, some little piece of New York, you know, there's already a red hope sign. So I could just go down there and do some improv down there and say, <laughs> but I feel like, I feel like in this space, I love the business that I have. And I've said that, you know, this, this Hope Boy Can Dance thing is a business. Mm. It's a business because I know what a company should have, dental insurance. So <laughs> until, until that happens, this is a business <laughs> that I can pay myself here and there, pay other people and, and keep moving. But I, I'm, okay. I'm happy with the way that I'm working. People ask me if I'm going to have an audition, if I'll ever audition. I'm like, oh, no, no, no. We'll just meet and we'll work together and we'll see how we work. And then you'll, or I'm loyal. I'm super loyal. And then you'll be a part of the family. And then we'll just keep it moving. I just have to thank you 
for the gift and value of your time for trusting me with it. And and because we're friends already, because you are a wordsmith, my friend. I love it. I love it. I'm just like, oh, notes, take notes. All the, all the sound bites. We probably have all the same self-help books on our back shelf. But I'll just say your name really does live up to you. And I'm so excited to continue following your sprinkles and sparkles around the stages of this world. And I think our audience will as well. So thank you for letting us spotlight your heart today. Thank you so much. Thanks again to our guest, Hope Boykin. Be sure to grab the October issue of Dance Magazine featuring her as the cover artist and check out the show notes for channels to follow her work. I'll be back next month with another awe-inspiring artist. Until then, take a moment to reflect on Hope's many pearls of wisdom. And if inspired, send this episode along to a friend, teacher, guide, or truth teller in your life. The Dance Edit Podcast is a dance media production. Subscribe, share, follow The Dance Edit on Instagram, and subscribe to The Dance Edit newsletter for briefs of daily dance news. See you next time.